help us to take heed, to consider our compassionate and merciful and faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. So we give you this time in the study of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Middle schoolers, you are dismissed. They'll be going upstairs to the youth room, having their study. The rest of us, let's open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, the back of the New Testament. You'll find it right before the book of James, the third chapter. We're doing a verse-by-verse study in Hebrews. We'll start at verse 1 of chapter 3. If you need a Bible, you're towards the back, just raise your hand, and Pastor John will slip you a Bible. If you're towards the front, there's some on the front platform. Hebrews chapter 3, while you're turning there, I want to reiterate, those of you who are here Wednesday nights, but um, it's it's exciting um, what the Lord is doing through the radio program. We do, as most of you know, but maybe perhaps you're here and you don't know that uh, we do have a radio program on Grace FM, and Grace FM uh, covers all of the front range from Pueblo uh, all the way up into southern Wyoming, Laramie, and uh, also Cheyenne. Matter of fact, if you go up in the snowies uh, there west of Laramie, you're going to pick up Grace FM. It's a powerful signal that covers 80% of the population in Colorado. So we have a program under the fig tree, uh, 3.30 uh, on uh, Monday through Friday. That's a blessing to be able to uh, have that. But also what I do is a live call-in show. It's called Calvary Live. I host the Tuesday edition. This week I'll be doing Tuesday and Wednesday as well as next week because I'm filling in for Pastor Ed uh, down at Aurora who's taking a group to Israel this month, uh, leaving actually some of them have already left. So I'm going to be filling in for him and then a few other spots, extra spots I'll be filling in for the rest of the month. But what's exciting when I was telling the group on Wednesday and um, asking for your prayers is that Calvary Live, as as most of you know, is a live call-in show where you can ask questions and and give your prayer requests. And not only does it cover Grace FM all along the front range, but in the last year, Hope FM, the radio network on the East Coast, has picked us up. So we're being heard in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and New Jersey. So we're getting calls from uh, uh, the East Coast, uh, people asking questions and, and for prayer requests. That covers probably an area of about 18 million people. Philadelphia, other um, populated areas. And this week, we get to welcome those of the Truth FM radio network in Kentucky and Tennessee and North Carolina. So Calvary Live, more stations are are picking it up. They really like the format. So it's exciting how how we're reaching more and more people uh, throughout the country. And of course, anybody listening online can call in as well. So be praying for us. And it is, there is a spiritual battle that goes on with it because Satan, who's called the prince of the power of the air, we've invaded his territory. And he's not happy, but I ask for your prayers. Uh, also, call in. I always love to hear people from Greeley that call in and ask a question and uh, be able to call in for your prayer request. So we're excited about that. Keep us in prayer. The radio program is uh, reaching a lot of people and uh, I feel like we have a whole congregation outside of Greeley here that are connected to us and hear the Bible teachings and uh, really know about our ministry here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. So it's just a wonderful uh, thing to be a part of 
uh, in the days in which we're living in, we, you know, just to be able to reach people through the airwaves. And so uh, appreciate your prayers and um, looking forward to what the Lord is going to do. But we do have a Bible study in Hebrews chapter 3. Now remember that the Hebrews uh, here in the first century, the Hebrew believers, they needed to be encouraged and instructed. Uh, the book of Hebrews was written to those believers that had come out of Judaism and were tempted to go back to putting themselves under the old covenant once again, back under the rituals and the sacrifices and uh, the Old Testament law. And so the writer of Hebrews, of course, inspired by the Spirit of God, is telling those Hebrew believers in the first century, do not go back to that which cannot save you. And we have seen in the first two chapters this heavy emphasis has been put on chapter 1, the divinity of Jesus, and then chapter 2, the humanity of Jesus. He is the one that the Father declares as God, his Lord. He is preeminent to all things, including angels. He is the creator of all things. He is superior to any of the angels. And in chapter 2, even though he took on flesh and blood, that is, that he was made a little lower than the angels, but he didn't lose his divinity but became man and suffering on the cross of Calvary, he tasted death for every single one of us. He is the propitiation for our sins. And what that word propitiation means is that he is the satisfaction for our, uh, the payment of sin. And in verse 9 of the chapter, it's recorded there, and we took note and emphasized, but we see Jesus. In other words, he is the one who is superior to any created angel or any religious system, and it is life, eternal life, that comes from him and none other. And because he was made uh, like us, calling us his brethren, he is our merciful and he is our faithful high priest. And now as we move into chapter 3, we will see that the writer of Hebrews is making the clear case that Jesus not only superior to the angels, but now is going to show us that he's superior to Moses. So what you are to do is keep your focus on Jesus. You are to keep your uh, priority on him. You listen to Moses, but how much more you are to listen and hear Jesus. So let's begin to look at that in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And what we're going to see is the writer of Hebrews is going to be calling us as believers to be faithful. Uh, we read that word again, therefore, and you recall that I've said, whenever you read that word, therefore, stop and see what it's there for. Again, in light of what I just wrote to you, what we read in the last thought of chapter 2 that we reviewed very quickly, therefore, holy brethren. And I find it interesting that they are being addressed in that way because the initial reader, those Hebrew believers, it would have meaning to them with their background. In the book of Exodus, where the, uh, we see the instructions were given to Moses to build the tabernacle. And then also the Levitical priesthood would be established at that time as well. In the tabernacle, there were certain furnishings and utensils. There was the forks and the pans and the cups. There was the shoe bread table, the uh, seven-branch menorah, the altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant. All these things were consecrated unto the Lord. They were dedicated to God, and they were considered holy vessels, separated for the work of God. 
And when it came to the priests and the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, it would be that uh, the same thing with the priests. They would be consecrated. They were separated for the work of God there at the tabernacle, later on in the temple, and they would be considered holy. And one of the points that Hebrews is stressing is that you believers in Jesus Christ, that you are holy brethren, separated unto God, not because of any religious system or ritual or anything you do, you are partakers of the heavenly calling. So what's the heavenly calling? Once again, remember in the previous chapter, and again, he is linking here as we open up chapter 3 with what was previously stressed in verse 10 of chapter 2, that Jesus would bring many sons to glory because he is the captain of our salvation. He is the completer of our salvation because he tasted death for every one of us. So it is being emphasized the work of Jesus, what he did for us, and dying on the cross, providing forgiveness of sin, and you know what is the hope of your calling. You are partakers of that. Paul the Apostle, when he was praying for the, the Ephesian believers in that book, in chapter 1, he would pray that, may your eyes be opened up, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. You are holy. You are holy brethren because of what he has done for you. And you have the hope of heaven because of Jesus. Nothing else and no one else did that for you. And because you are now holy, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And that word consider is a very significant word in the New Testament. It means to give faithful attention to, to study very carefully, to our apostle, the Greek word for apostle, as many of you know, has the meaning of one sent out. One sent out with a, a commission, something like an ambassador. Uh, Jesus is the Father's appointed apostle, ambassador, and messenger. And what a glorious and wonderful and perfect ambassador. With a message of hope. And Jesus is our hope. Consider him. Look to him. And being holy unto God and partakers of his heavenly calling, what does that mean for you and for me? It means that we are his ambassadors as well. And we are to give a message of consider Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. It's a person, not a procedure. And we are to study him, consider him. We look to him, and as we do that, you can't help but fall more in love with him as you know him. You see, it's about relationship, not about religiousness. And he is our high priest, as we talked about last week. He supremely represents us before the Father. It was the high priest that represented the people before God. And we know that Romans chapter 8, verse 34 declares, it is Christ who died and furthermore uh, is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. Isn't that amazing? I mean, think about it. That your name comes from the lips of Jesus at the throne of God as he makes intercession for you and for me. So consider and study, keep focus on the apostle and high priest of our confession. So the question for us this morning is do we confess Jesus or do we confess something else? Do we confess religion or maybe a doctrine? 
or maybe a church, maybe a leader in the church, a pastor, an evangelist. And my point that I want to make is I'm learning more and more to confess Jesus. I can talk about the church. I love talking about Calvary Chapel. And I hope you do as well. That you can tell people that Calvary Chapel is a place where you can come and study God's Word and, and sense the love of Jesus Christ amongst the people. That, that I want to be one, that I want to have a good reputation as a pastor. I want to be humbled before the Lord. But what I am learning more and more that even as we know that doctrine is important for sure, but to focus on and bring people to our apostle and high priest, Jesus Christ. And as we do, we read in verse 2, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. And verse 4, for every house is built by someone but he who built all things is God. Now, Moses was one, as you know, was regarded very highly in Judaism. He's the one that represents the law, right? He would bring the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt, to the mountain of God there, and God made a covenant with them. And God gave them the law. God gave them um, the you know, uh, Levitical priesthood. He, he showed Moses for, for him to build the tabernacle, the Lord said, so I can meet with you. And he showed Moses the pattern of the tabernacle. You see, it wasn't Moses out there at the mountain of God saying, well, maybe it'd be a good idea if we built some kind of temple or tabernacle. And I think it'd be good if we had two rooms and call the, the one room holy place and the other the most holy place. And let's build a menorah. It was all shown to Moses. We're going to see that as we continue here in the book of Hebrews. He didn't make it up. It came from the Lord, the pattern that you're to follow after, and as well as the Levitical priesthood and what their duties and responsibilities were as priests, the Levites that assisted the priests. And we'll talk more about that as we continue through the book of Hebrews. But as Moses was a pillar in their faith and history, the writer of Hebrews is now going to show us that Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses was faithful in all his house, Numbers chapter 12, verse 7 is what's being quoted here. As God said of Moses that he's faithful in all my house, he was faithful in building the tabernacle. He was faithful to ministering to the people there. And it wasn't an easy ministry. I think that as I look at those who were used of the Lord, you know, they, a lot of them had very difficult ministries and were persecuted. But I think about Moses in the Old Testament. I mean, he pastored a congregation for 40 years, they didn't have a building. They're out there in the wilderness. And 3 million people, the biggest church in, in the history of mankind, and listen, they weren't nice to him. At some times, as you read there in the Old Testament, all of them would, would come against Moses. They would have a vote. Let's get rid of Moses, you know. And the vote would be 3 million to nothing. And, and Moses... It's hard enough. You know how it is when one person complains against you, but can you imagine hearing the complaining of the three million people, two and a half to three million people? And, and as faithful as Moses was, this one, verse 3, has been counted more worthy and more glory than Moses. Jesus, who created all things, is greater, superior, infinitely superior. What Moses did was good. But what Jesus did is far greater and is far better 
and worthy of more glory and honor. So Jesus is greater than Moses in his accomplishments. And then as we continue in verses 5 and 6, Jesus is greater than Moses in his position with God. Let's read that. Verse 5, And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Moses was a servant, a faithful servant, but Jesus is a son. Uh, Moses was a servant in the house. Jesus Christ is a son over the house. Moses was never called a son. So Jesus being the son of God is greater based on two points. He's the creator. He, he is the son. And, and Moses, even though he is being told to us, again, quoting from the book of Numbers, that he was faithful, uh, he wasn't perfect. He failed at times, didn't he? We know that Numbers chapter 20, for example. Towards the end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering, the people are thirsty. They, they cried to Moses, Moses, we're thirsty. And the Lord told Moses, speak to the rock and, and water will come forth. And what did Moses do? In his frustration, you know, putting up with them for all those years, they're murmuring and complaining. Uh, I think it just kind of came out. Moses, who was the most humble man on the face of the earth, and he's takes his staff and he strikes the rock and he says must we fetch water for you rebels and the lord said moses come here i need to talk to you and, and i i'm very sympathetic towards moses i think gosh all those years putting up with them wanting to stone him and murmuring and complaining i'm surprised he didn't go into the crowd swinging that staff but moses was told listen by god i'm not mad at the people and you misrepresented me. I wasn't angry at them. I told you to speak to the rock. And here you are yelling at him, saying, must we fetch water? What's this we? I was going to refresh them. So you're not going to go into the promised land. So Moses did fail. But Jesus, he never did. And he was perfect. Everything that he did and said was in perfect harmony with the Father. And the writer is expressing once again that we are to always to honor our Lord Jesus over any man, over any religious system. There is important application to be made to us even today. Because, you see, we can show our appreciation to others and express that to others, uh, how somebody is a blessing to us. Maybe a Bible teacher, an evangelist, somebody in the church, somebody who has blessed you. Of course we can do that. We can talk, and I hope that you do, talk to others about how much a blessing a church is, how much of a blessing Calvary Chapel is to you, and how the people are a blessing. But here's the thing. We are never to elevate a pastor, a religious leader, never elevate a church, the name of a church, over Jesus Christ. And I believe that happens today. There are those who say, I'm going to go to that happening place or whatever the case may be, and the emphasis is on the church or on that pastor that's well-known, that Bible teacher that, that is famous. And unfortunately, we can have kind of a celebrity kind of mentality that can even be in the church. And what I have seen, the repercussions of, of what happens over time is that church will let you down eventually. You'll be disappointed in that church, perhaps. Uh, maybe that... Bible teacher, that evangelist, will fail in some way, in a moral way. And I've heard people say, well, I'm giving up this Christianity thing. I'm not going to go to church anymore. 
I'm done believing in God. I've even heard that from people because a pastor fell or, or a church failed them. And I understand the hurts that are real in that and the disappointments, but I ask them, who are you putting your faith in? Were you putting it in that pastor or in the name of that church? See, we're to keep a priority putting our faith in Jesus Christ who will never fail you. Listen, I want to be a godly example of a pastor, faithful to teach the word of God, humble before the Lord. I want to, to be above reproach. I want to be blameless. I pray that Calvary Chapel is the place that you have confidence where you're going to come and be ministered to. And the word of God is going to be taught and the love of Jesus Christ is going to be present. But the church and me, we're not perfect. And there are times where we fall short as much as we don't want to. And so we need to keep our eyes on Jesus who will never fail you and fall short. So you Jewish believers, Moses was a faithful servant and he's a very important man in your history as God used him. But don't put him on the same level as my son who is the creator. And again, you recall that on the Mount of Transfiguration that there is Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Peter sees it. He says, it's good for us to be here. Let's build a tabernacle for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And then he hears the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. In other words, Peter, do not put my son on the same level as Moses and Elijah. This is my son, you need to hear him. But before we move on, I want to draw attention to a few things in verse 6, bring out a few points that I, I think is important as we read once again that Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are. When the writer of Hebrews is writing about Moses being faithful in all his house, they would have a tendency to perhaps think back to the tabernacle. Now we know that in the context of speaking of God's people in, in the ministry that Moses had, but a big part of that was the tabernacle. They would think back to the animal sacrifices that took place and the, the priestly ministry that was conducted. And, and later on, after the tabernacle came the first temple built by Solomon, and that was destroyed. And then after the captivity of Babylon, we know that the second temple was constructed standing at the time of Jesus. It was a magnificent temple as Herod the Great had expanded it. But we know that at the time that this epistle is being written, that that magnificent temple stood in Jerusalem. And those Hebrew believers would stand on the hillsides of Jerusalem looking at the temple mount where the temple was, seeing the smoke rise from the sacrifices, hearing the trumpets being blown, seeing the priests that are there, the people coming in for the feast, and it would have a draw for them. And they are being told something very, very important. And that is, they're being reminded that Christ is a son over his own house, which we are part of. In other words, know this believer, that there is a house which is much more superior than the building of the temple. You see, that temple that was standing there would be leveled in a few short years after this epistle is written. And you need to understand that God is building another temple. It's a living temple. And that is what is being drawn out, the people of God. And that's what Peter was writing about the same time to the Christians that were going through persecution. And Peter reminds them in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that you, Christian, you also are living stones that are being built up a spiritual house. 
that Jesus, he's the chief cornerstone, and we're all coming together into this holy living temple. We're living stones, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. And as Peter is encouraging those Christians that were being persecuted, the persecution coming from Rome and also coming from their brethren, he also says that you're living stones and a holy nation. Now to the people of God, understand this, that you belong to the house of God, to the family of God because of Jesus, not because of Moses, not because of any religious system, not because of the temple, but because of him. Second point is this, if we hold fast. That term means steadfastly continue in a course that has been set. It is a term that sailors use when they would set a course uh, when in the sea, trying to hold fast, keep the course that was set despite the winds and the waves that would come along and knock them off course. And so these Hebrew believers, as well as us today, are being exhorted, we need to hold fast. We need to stay the course. Don't be blown back into religiousness. Remember chapter 2, he says, don't drift away from the truth. Don't be elevating something or someone else over Jesus. Stay the course to following the one who is the captain of our salvation, the perfect sacrifice for you and for me, the son, the creator. The third point is this in verse 6, that we're to hold fast and to do it with confidence. And that word here. The compound word literally means assurance with all speech. The word means to have confidence, assurance, which causes you to continue to confess the Son, even if it means difficulty and persecution as they were experiencing. And you and I today in the culture in which we live in, in our society, we need to understand that the Christian life does require sacrifice. Jesus himself said that if we are going to be his disciples, we need to count the costs. We will, to some degree, experience some kind of difficulty or suffering. Do you know that? And we need to, to understand that. That the world is not going to applaud you if you become a Christian. And Jesus said that the world's going to hate you because it first hated me. And that you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. And Paul, writing to Timothy, said that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution to one degree or another. And many of you, you have that testimony that you suffered it to one degree or another, people coming against you, your family disowning you, being persecuted perhaps at church, uh, whatever the case may be. But you and I are being told, hold fast, stay the course, professing him with assurance, confident that he is still the Lord of your life. Fourthly, in verse 6, that we are to be ones that have rejoicing, rejoicing of the hope. This is important. Regardless of what life does bring to me, I, as a living stone, a member of the house of God, one who has the hope of heaven, whatever happens here on earth in this life, I can live with a sense of joy in my heart, a continual joy in my heart, because one day I'm going to stand before my Lord, and I have the hope of heaven, and it's going to be wonderful when we go to heaven no more struggle no more persecution no more sickness no more conflict in heaven and you see as christians we can lose sight of heaven because we live in a day and age first of all where there's so much that's being stressed in the church today for you to self-indulge and be self-focused and what's in it for me 
and the temporary benefits and earthly blessings that you are to name and claim in all of this. And we lose sight of the you know, things above because we focus on the temporal. And listen, it doesn't mean we can't give God our desires. It doesn't mean that we're not to be thankful for what we have. We are thankful. Thank you, Lord. Whether you have much or little, but to be good stewards of it, every good and perfect gift comes from above. We can give the Lord our desires. Lord, here's my desires. Here's my wants. But here's the thing. Never make things a priority over Him. And that's the tragedy of the prosperity gospel, of the health wealth doctrine that has in, it just brought in so many Christians the message of you need to name it and you need to claim it. Listen, you and I are to prioritize heaven and to remember that all those things, whether you have little or whether you have much, are going to go away. And the only thing that is going to last is what we did for Christ. To store up our treasure in heaven, that is the right priority. And that's what we're being reminded of. Keep your focus on eternity and your priority on eternity, and that will keep you in a place of having joy in your heart, even in the difficult times that you go through, because you know that heaven awaits. And then fifthly in verse 6, finally, firm to the end. This is going to be repeated in verse 14. And now the writer of Hebrews is going to use the children of Israel in their wilderness wandering, their sin of unbelief, which kept them in the wilderness 40 years. So this exhortation here to persevere, hold fast the confidence, the rejoicing of the hope to the end. Don't harden your hearts. Don't go back to that which cannot save you. Stick with Jesus. Don't drift away in, take heed to the warning in the previous chapter. Be anchored to Jesus, to be faithful. Let's continue verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, verse 10, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. You know the story, don't you? That how they came out of the bondage of Egypt led by Moses. And the Lord promised them over and over again that I'm going to give you the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll drive out the inhabitants, the giants. And he showed them his work, the plagues upon Egypt. He, he parted the Red Sea and they crossed on dry land and then drowned the Egyptian you know, soldiers in their chariots. He made provision. His presence was with them. They came to the mountain of God. The mountain shook. It was an awesome sight. And they came to the border of the promised land. As you go and read the book of Numbers, they sent spies into the promised land for 40 days, 12 spies, and they come back. And they're carrying these big clusters of grapes and fruit. And they said, man, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and two of them are carrying on a pole, these huge grapes. I think the two carrying them was Jacob, uh, was um, Joshua and Caleb the only two of that generation that would go into the promised land. They said it's a good land, great big grapes, but here's the problem. There's great big giants in the land. And the people began to murmur, and they began to complain, and they said, we can't go into the promised land. We're going to die in the promised land. And Moses, why did you bring us out here? Our children are going to die in the promised land. So the writer of Hebrews, quoting from Psalm 95, given a warning, don't harden your heart, 
And that generation refused to follow and trust what Moses had said concerning God's promise for them. They saw the glory and the power and the works of God, his faithfulness, but they wouldn't go into the land. So don't harden your heart to a greater than Moses, Jesus, who is the one that's going to give you life, eternal life, and life abundantly. And it's to remind us once again that, listen, if we murmur and complain as a Christian, and if we're full of unbelief and doubting the promises and the word of God, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to have a wilderness experience in your Christian life. You're going to feel dry and hot and barren, just as they did in the wilderness because of their continual unbelief and murmuring and complaining. And the Lord doesn't want that for us. He wants us to trust in Him, but also to rest in Him. And that's what here the focus of Hebrews is going to begin to be. Let's, let's read verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily what it was called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And while it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Beware, don't be like that generation that perished out in the wilderness, the sin of unbelief. And here strong language is being used, isn't it? Refusing to believe in God is such a serious sin because it shows an evil heart and departing from the living God is what we were told. Numbers chapter 14, they refused to go into the promised land. They were called an evil generation, an evil congregation. And remember, he is writing to a group of people that had a history with God, gone through very difficult times. Just as the children of Israel, you know, were given this warning of unbelief, and hardening of heart, it is given to you and to me. Don't harden your heart. Now, there are times when our faith weakens, isn't there? When our faith begins to falter. That can happen in seasons of our life. And that's why it's so important that we have a soft heart and we go to the Lord in those times and give it to Him. I can't help but think about the story in Matthew chapter 17. I believe it's also written in Mark chapter 9. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's with Peter, James, and John, the three. The other nine are down at the base of the mountain, and here's a father with a son. The son is vexed with the demon, and, and the son is, is in bad shape. And the father comes to those nine disciples and, and asks them, can you cast this demon out of my son? They couldn't do it. So Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with the, the three, Peter, James, and John. And when that father saw Jesus, he makes a beeline right for Jesus. And he says, I've asked your disciples to cast this demon out of my son, but they couldn't. Will you please help, Lord? Please have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus responded by saying, if you can't believe, all things are possible to him who believes and the father responded by saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And you see, that father at that time was given a simple, honest answer to our compassionate high priest, to where his own heart was at. And Jesus gently challenges him, exhorts him, if you will only believe, not only in a God who can, but in a God who will, it can be done. 
And you see, out of the honesty of our hearts, we can cast that, that doubt and those fears and the unbelief on the Lord. Lord, I believe, but I know that there's unbelief. Lord, help me to believe and to stand on your promise. And Lord, I don't want to harden my heart to you and build my faith. And not only to trust in you, but listen, he wants us to rest in him. And the promise that is given to us. And that's the shift that we're going to see now that is in the book of Hebrews here. Let's finish the chapter, and then chapter 4, we'll really get into it. But who, having heard, rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with whom he was angry forty years, was it not with those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Listen again. When we don't believe and we worry and we fret and we want to control everything, we lose our rest in the Lord. He wants you to rest in Him. But I think a real key is given here in verse 13. That you and I, what we are to do is exhort one another. And what I pray is, is that as we're honest with each other and build those relationships, we pray for one another as we come and say, hey, can you pray for me? I'm just struggling right now. And, and to give it to the Lord and for us to be compassionate and merciful towards each other and exhort one another, believe in the Lord. His word is true, right? And not only trusting in him, but resting in his promises given to you. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this chapter that has so much for us in this book that's so incredible to help us keep our priority on you and to consider our merciful and compassionate high priest, the apostle and messenger, the appointed by the Father, who is true, who is the word. So, I, Father, I thank you that we're reminded of these things once again. And as we come to the communion table now, as we hold these elements in our hands, that we remember that we belong to a better covenant, a new covenant, a covenant of his blood and body being broken, his blood shed for forgiveness of sin, his body being broken, that we might have forgiveness have a hope of his calling, heaven. That we would continue to worship. But Lord, I also want to pray if there's anyone here that is in this sanctuary, I know the coffee shop is full. Listening on live stream, there's a lot of people that are sick. Listening on the radio later that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. We want to give you that opportunity right now. Listen, he is your hope. There is none other. It's not found in a pastor. It's not found in a church. It's not found in the faith of your parents. It's not found in trying to be good. It is found in him alone, what he did for you. He tasted death for you because he loves you. And today's the day of salvation. Will you give your life to Jesus? We're going to give you that opportunity right now. You can pray right where you are. That Jesus, I come to you and I confess that I am a sinner. 
and I believe you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again, you are alive, and I believe that you are Lord. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior of my life. And I thank you for hearing my prayer and bringing me here. I believe you are my salvation. And I thank you for your love. I want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And if you prayed that prayer in, in, a, in a few minutes, as Pastor John's going to come up front and to pray with those who need prayer, come up and tell them the decision that you made. But you're also welcome to come to the communion table who is for the believer. And again, believers, we hold the elements. We'll hang on to them. We'll partake of them together as we continue to just marvel at Jesus, the captain of our salvation, and what he did for you and for me.